Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Tonight we, the church, gather to give thanks to our Lord that he has brought us through the first half of the church year. The half which covers the very life of Christ from the expectation of his coming and to that when he came to earth as a child born of the Virgin Mary. To his young life, growing up like any young Jewish boy. To then his public ministry, where he taught the disciples for three years and led them around, bringing to them the glories of heaven come near to them in the Son of our Father. We have the life of Christ, where the Lord had foretold that he must suffer, that it was necessary that the Son of Man be delivered over and crucified, and then on the third day rise again. And he has risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. We give God thanks for having with many proofs appeared to the disciples on those 40 days between Easter and this day of the Ascension. We give God thanks that he appeared to not only the disciples, but so many others. He ate with them. He spoke with them. He comforted them. And he told them that he would never leave them. We thank God that the Son has ascended into heaven, not leaving his people, but we being with them to the very end of the age. I could see why some people may think that this ascension may not be such a great thing for the church. After all, many people who struggle with the faith say, if Jesus stood here before me, then I would believe. I would call them on that lie, because who would believe that it was really Jesus? Jesus has never made that promise. You most certainly would call into question whether or not that was the true Messiah. No, that would not be enough to convince you to believe in God. I see that people might think this ascension may be a way for Jesus to escape the cruelty of this world. He wasn't exactly treated very kindly when he came here. There was no red carpet and a gift basket and a wonderful hotel for him to stay in. Jesus himself said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Funny how it is that the sign of great kings is often possessions and earthly wealth, great castles and buildings, and assets, and homes in countries all around the world. They're lauded by people for their great grandeur and majesty. But what was Jesus' kingship marked by? It was none of this. It was humility. He veiled his glory with our flesh. He lived in the home of a lowly carpenter, grew up, as I said, like a young, common Jewish boy going to temple, obeying the Jewish laws. And when he was ready to begin that ministry for which he was sent, those who should have welcomed him 
shunned him. They told lies about him. They plotted to kill him. And then, when he was brought before the state's justice, which found him innocent, he was still condemned to be crucified. Those who did receive him, as you have seen many times in the scriptures, they wanted him to keep healing their sick. And what would happen when he departed from their presence? They stayed close to him because he was working miracles. They saw him turn five loaves of bread and a couple fish into enough to feed 5,000. They wanted him to be their bread king. And then even the disciples oftentimes are greatly disappointing. They should have known But yet they turned to Jesus before his ascension. Is it at this time that you will restore Israel? They wanted him to come with military might and power and overthrow the Romans and sit to be their king present with his butt on a throne. But that was not why Jesus came. Even these disciples hadn't believed the words of the resurrection until he had appeared before them. Yet what a wonderful grace, what an amazing love it is for us to consider that he should share fellowship with these. Breaking bread with sinners and eating with tax collectors as a mere mortal man, yet it was God in the flesh who deserves such company. Who deserves such love? How many kings do you think would want to stay among such an ungrateful lot? A people that just couldn't get it, even though he said it many times. But Jesus did not ascend to escape his people. He did not ascend so that he would never have to listen to their nagging voices any longer or have to fulfill another request He did not ascend in order to be far away from his fallen creation. He did not ascend in order to forget you. He ascended into heaven in order that he might be with you forever to the very end of the age. Jesus said in the last chapter of Matthew, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He didn't mean that in some figurative sense as if you could imagine him present here, but he really wasn't. There is no deception, no trickery, no lies in the voice of the Son of God. He means it. He is with us. He ascended to be with us forever. Though you cannot see him, he is here. Jesus Christ himself is with his church. True God, true man ever-present for us. What did the disciples want? They wanted a God who would be with them forever. When Elisha asked of Elijah such a hard thing, God granted it. The disciples asked of God a hard thing. They wanted Jesus to be with them forever. But their idea of how Christ should be present was not 
the greatest idea. God had a much better plan. His counsels and his ways were far above what the disciples wanted. A Jesus who just restores Israel when they needed a Jesus who restores all creation. Who calls all people unto himself to bring about their salvation. Jesus reassures his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled just because you cannot see him present with your eyes. Because that does not mean he is no longer with us. He is with you. When in the morning you rise in prayer and remember your baptism making the sign of the cross. He is there in the evening when you have gone about your day and are depleted of all strength, when your mind is yet processing still all of the things which have taken place, whether good or bad, there Jesus is with you when you end your day in prayer. Each time you hear the scriptures read to you or read responsively as we join together oftentimes in the Holy Liturgy, there Jesus is present with you. When you yourself open the Bible, when you meditate upon not just simple words, but the God-inspired words that have been preserved for thousands of years for us. The Bible has more manuscripts that can back its authenticity and its accuracy than any book that has ever been produced. That Bible is Jesus present with you. Each time those words, I forgive you, come sweetly to your ears, or you are given such a humbling opportunity to say to another, I forgive you, they having wronged you. There Jesus is present with you. When you kneel down at the altar and hold out your tongue and you receive that blessed host, Christ's body, there Jesus is with you, present always to the end of the age. When that chalice is put to your lips, there Jesus is with you. Every time you remember your baptism or watch another be baptized, there Jesus is with you. For we are always in Christ's baptism. Jesus is there. Even if you were to ascend to heaven or go as deep as Sheol, there he would be with you. There is no place to escape Christ. For he is over all things. There is no place where you could go that Christ could leave you. He is always near. He hears your cries just as he could hear your whispers. He hears the secret thoughts of your heart and mind when you are stumbling over what to say. What an amazing Savior you have who will not allow himself to be interrupted or distracted from being present to you. He is not pulled in many directions to where he cannot give you his attention or be near you. He is there. 
Because he has ascended to the right hand of God, he is over all things, present with his whole creation. His ascension is not to your detriment. His ascension is for your benefit. Just as everything he did in this life was for your sake. Quite simply put, Jesus ascends to us and for us. He exalts us with himself and seats us with him in the heavenly places even now. He ascends in our body, our flesh, to bring our human nature nearer to the Father than it had ever been since the fall of creation. He restores to us the goodness of God's creation before the fall. So I do not wish you to be discouraged, dear children of God. Jesus said to his disciples that he was not abandoning them. He's not leaving you as orphans. Jesus said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. The disciples were struck for a moment. Watching their Lord ascend into the heavens, they gazed up into the sky as he was taken from their sight. And two angels came to them and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? The way, the truth, and the life is not to stand looking into the heavens. It's in the Bible. It's in baptism. It's in the Lord's Supper. Because that is where Christ Jesus is present for you. He will come in the same way that we had seen him go. He has made a promise that we are not left alone but that he himself will come with a loud shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of the Lord. He will return and he will gather us up and we shall be with him. For he has ascended into heaven to also prepare a place for you, a place where you can be with him for all eternity, to welcome you when you die, to receive you into his arms as he opens the doors to his kingdom. And there you shall see him face to face, as his father's home is now your home, and the ear of the father now hears your prayers, for you are his sons, for Christ is always with you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all their understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.